in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And because I know you're all keeping track and good notes, you're thinking, wait, we've already done that passage. We just did the second half of it. We're going to do the first half tonight. The second half was that we are called to forgive one another. And so we looked at forgiveness, which after we did looked at forgiveness, my wife informed me that it should have been two different messages. Um, but it wasn't, it was just one. But we are going to look at the first half of verse 32 tonight, which is this command, be kind to one another and tender-hearted to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So Paul is addressing how we in the church are to treat one another. And we want to know that this is addressed to the church. While it's applicable, how we treat people outside of the church, certainly the command here is for us within a covenant with one another that belong to this local church here, that this is our command for us, is that we're to be kind and we're to be tender-hearted. Now, there seems to be a lot of confusion on exactly what that means and what that looks like today, because the idea of being what I see so commonly referred to as being winsome is a virtue over that of, say, doctrinal clarity and truth. And what will be usually referenced when we're told we need to be kind and tender-hearted to one another as we maybe forsake doctrinal clarity and doctrinal unity as something is primary, what we're told then is, see, Scripture tells us to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and so you all need to be nice to one another, and this way of disagreements that you might have over doctrinal things is just unacceptable. And in some sense, we had this conversation, a number of us just yesterday, is in some sense it's true. How we debate things does not show itself to be in the spirit of kindness and tenderheartedness. But if we take that to an extreme, what can happen is we forsake debate. We forsake truth eventually. We forsake conviction. All in the name of being kind and tender-hearted. Is that what Paul is calling us to do? Absolutely not. In fact, I would say it would be very unkind and very hard-hearted to allow doctrinal error. It would be unkind and it would be uh, very hard-hearted to allow uh, sin to take place. And so, what we see beginning to take place and has taken root in the church is a forsaking of truth often for that purpose of being so-called kind, so-called tender-hearted to one another at the expense of truth, so that way we don't possibly offend one another. Now Paul gets to the bottom of all of this for us in the preceding verse. 
He says in verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And I'm going to go into that more later. But our debate cannot have those things in it. Rather, debate has to be with kindness and tenderheartedness. And so what we see here is a contrast of two things that are antithetical. That idea of anger, wrath, clamor, and slander do not go along with being kind and tenderhearted. To be kind is to be gracious. Is basically what it means. Is to show grace to another person. We see in chapter 2, verse 7, that God is actually our model for this. We see in verse 7 of chapter 2, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, God is always going to be the prime example of what it means to be kind, because what God's word tells us is that his kindness cannot be measured, whereas my kindness has a limit. Your kindness has a limit to it, but when we look at Almighty God, who is infinite, it's immeasurable kindness that He has shown, and it's particular in His Son, a kindness to His people that He has called out of darkness to walk in light. That is an immeasurable kindness that is to be our example of what it means to be kind to one another. You see, in Luke chapter 6, In verse 35, we are told this, but love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will have sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That's an amazing verse. When we think about the connection between kindness and that idea of graciousness, we see this, is God's kindness is not based upon someone's worth or merit of deserving God's kindness, but God shows kindness out of grace. It's undeserved kindness. Undeserved to the sinner undeserved to those whom he is called to be in his son. And because there is none that can earn God's kindness, his kindness always is going to be out of grace. We see that God's kindness is to be a means of reconciliation. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? His kindness serves as an example for us. Not only is it immeasurable, not only does it flow out of his grace, but it is for that purpose, that of repentance that of reconciliation. And so may our kindness in our relationships with one another 
And let me just ask you, do sometimes relationships in the church get sideways with one another? Show kindness as a means that you can see reconciliation and repentance in relationships. Now, when you look at this contrast in verse 31 to wrath, anger, clamor, and slander, and I said that those are antithetical to one another, when you begin to think about wrath and you think about anger or slander, it is because the person that has anger, and just as a side note, you see two different types of anger here. The first is wrath, which is a, a quick, bubbling up, intense anger. So, you know the people that get angry in a flash? That's what it's referring to. And then the next anger is that anger that's slow and residing there for a long time. So, uh, people usually exhibit one of those two types of anger. And God's Word shows that here, that that's generally true, is that people tend to fall in that. What causes anger is that someone has perceived that they have somehow been wronged. Why is there slander? Well, because they perceive something that that person deserves to be judged by their slander. Well, think about that for a second. When that anger boils, or when that anger is residing, or when that slander comes out, what happens, it comes out because that person has made a judgment, and now this person is receiving the punishment of their judgment. That's an amazing thing to think about when we go back to what God's kindness is to us, is we didn't earn it, but what we have actually earned is His just wrath. But He doesn't give us that. He gives us His kindness. So when we think about those two contrasting things there, we have to put that in perspective. When things do go sideways with us, and we want to respond in some way, Actually, we have to put away the anger, we have to put away the slander, and we have to put forth kindness, not because they deserved it, but because God has shown us how to do it, and He has commanded us to do it. Do they deserve your kindness? Maybe not but you didn't deserve God's. You didn't deserve God's. The next thing we're called to be is, we're called to be tender-hearted. Now, Peter says something very similar when he says this, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. What does it mean to be tender-hearted? Well, it's to be compassionate. It's literally healthy bowels, which is something deep inside. It's affectionate. It's being merciful. It can be described as a great affection of love to be tender-hearted. 
Another example of this is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. We see this example many places in the gospel. Let me just give one. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Christ as the great shepherd sees the sheep and he has compassion upon them. His heart is tender for them. This is the very example that he gives in the parable of the Good Samaritan. When he says in Luke chapter 10, verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Well, this compassion has feet and it has hands. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his animal and brought him to an end and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus goes on to say, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So that tenderheartedness isn't just some sentimental feeling, but it, but it actually has feet to it. It works itself out in our actions towards one another. In other words, it, it's something that's it's tangible. It's one thing to say, I'm really compassionate for people, but you actually don't ever demonstrate that. Because compassion and that tenderheartedness, it shows up in how we actually treat one another. It shows up in our lives with one another. Paul talks about this with his partnership with the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 1 and 8. He says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all, the, uh, all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That is the bowels of Christ Jesus because of this partnership that they have in the gospel. And Paul throughout this letter tells them what that compassion that tenderheartedness looks like in his prayers for them, in him sending uh, Epaphroditus back to them. He shows it in tangible ways, and Paul's in prison at this point, worried that he may be executed. But yet his compassion isn't self-consumed that he may get his head chopped off by Caesar. Actually, his concern is for Christ and Christ's bride, the church. When you think about this command here of showing tenderheartedness, this idea of compassion, I think that it would be in contrast with bitterness in verse 31. Bitterness is something that's in the heart that we hang on to that results in what? A hard heart towards someone. 
uh, it's a heart that doesn't rejoice when they rejoice and weep when they weep. It's that heart that doesn't uh, put others before themselves. It's a, a hardened heart is a heart that's been taken over and held captive by bitterness. But that can't be with the Christian because Christ has set us free from those things. And so when they come up and they are in our hearts, what we have to do is we have to put those things to death by God's grace. To be tender-hearted towards others, to be compassionate to others, means that we, we in this real-life situation, our boots on the ground when we live life together, as a group of people that are different with different backgrounds and stuff, is that we don't hang on to things. But we think of what we're told in Peter, we think of what we're told in the Proverbs, is that love covers a multitude of sins. That rather than allowing bitterness to control our heart, our compassion and tenderness shows itself out. Now, I think that there's generally, this is to be our disposition to all people. Wouldn't you agree? We should be kind to all people, whether they're in the church or they're not in the church. And and I think that when we look at uh, the Ten Commandments, that would be very clear. We we are to be kind, we are to be tenderhearted to just people in general. That, That needs to be our general disposition. But specifically, this must be exemplified in our life together. It must be, and we should expect that of one another because we all gather with this idea that we are regenerate. We know that we are all in need of God's grace. Now, again, sometimes this call to kindness and tender heartedness is used in some sense today in the name of being winsome is used at the forsaking of doctrinal clarity and truth. And so, let me tell you what kindness and tenderheartedness is not. We've seen what it is, but what is it not? Well, it's, it's not this. It's not a, a lack of confrontation. It's not a lack of confrontation. I think of a classic example of this. Paul, who the Lord used to write the letter to the church of Ephesus, Uh, he he writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Our society today would say, time out, hold on, you need to be kind and tenderhearted. Look, when the gospel's at stake, and the gospel is at stake there, when truth, when God's grace over the legalism of the Judaizers was taking root in the church of Galatia, Paul confronts Peter to his face and confronts him on those things. So this idea that today in the name of kindness and tenderheartedness, we don't confront one another, is a fallacy. In fact, it would have been 
sinful on Paul's part, and it would have put the church in jeopardy of losing the gospel and new people coming into a works-based system rather than that their sins have been paid by Christ and Christ alone, had Paul not opposed him, would that have been kind and tender-hearted? Would have been very hard-hearted of Paul and cowardly. And see, actually having a tender heart, being kind in our day and age means you must be courageous. That you can't have wobbly knees when society is trying to get you to bend them the way they want. There's something else. Is that this idea of kindness and tenderheartedness does not mean forsaking of the truth. And Paul makes this very clear in the same chapter in Ephesians of chapter 4 when he writes, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness of deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love. You see what the, the problem is, is that there is that potentiality of people to be carried away by strange new doctrines and vain philosophies. But we're a people of truth. The church is the pillar and buttress of truth. Our Savior is the truth. We have the Word of God. Your Word is truth. We are a people of truth, and we are a people of love that are called to love one another. We are called to love our neighbor. We are called to love our enemy, if that is our neighbor. And we are to speak truth in love. That's who we are. We don't forsake truth as a way of thinking that we're being kind. Paul says this in verse 25 of chapter 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Let me ask you, does sometimes the truth hurt? Well, that's not being very kind. Let me just say this, because I think this is... This is in, in our feminized culture today, real conversation is not allowed at times. And I, I will just say this, and I hope this is true with you, just because I disagree, and I may even disagree passionately, doesn't mean I'm being mean. It just means we don't disagree, we, we don't agree on something. And we're not going to agree on everything. We're not going to agree on everything in the church, are we? No, because we state those things and we debate those things, that's good. Because we're people of the truth and we're trying to get to the truth. So debate, wrestling with truth, wrestling with Scripture, doesn't mean we have forsaken kindness and tenderheartedness. We're to speak truth in love, and we're to put away falsehood. Be 
being kind and tender-hearted doesn't mean that we tolerate sin. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. That type of language today would not sound very kind or tender-hearted. But yet, I, again, I, I would say that's probably the most tender-hearted and kind thing that you could possibly do. Listen, if you're in obedience to God's Word, you, you're not being unkind or lacking a tender heart. Another thing is, is this, is being kind doesn't mean that we enable people through ignorant benevolence. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we use our benevolence as a demonstration of our kindness and our tenderheartedness. And that's what we call it, when actually what happens is that we're enabling people to stay in the gutter. That's very prevalent in our time today. And people would say, well, we're to be kind and we're being tenderhearted. Yes, but we're not to be kind and tenderhearted in, in a sense that we are going to be benevolent to people in such a way that it enables them. Second Thessalonians 3.10 For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. There are plenty of people that are enabled when actually rather they should be told that. It's actually not being kind and tender-hearted to enable that. Now that's just one example. I mean, we could look at that in many different ways. A lot of times, the way that benevolent type of what's called mercy ministry, which, are we supposed to be merciful in ministry? Are we supposed to? Yes, absolutely. I'm not saying that we're not supposed to do those things. But but we are to look at the Word of God in the full picture. We're to be wise stewards with what God has given us. Another thing is, is that being kind does not mean embracing the world for the sake of the world. Paul says this. He says in chapter 5, verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Do not become partners with the sons of disobedience. Do not become partners with the world. That is that system that is opposed to God. It is that realm of the world that is rejecting God's word. We are not to become partners with them. But yet, that is what the church tends to be doing today, is partnering with the world and the ideologies of the world in order to fix the world's problems rather than recognizing that we have a gospel And that it is that gospel that sets people free. 
It is that gospel that changes hearts, that people may actually love their neighbor because God has given them a heart that now beats for their neighbor. Only the gospel does that. Only the gospel does that. And so kindness and tenderheartedness does not mean that we embrace the world. In fact, when we see that oftentimes to be a Christian means that the Christian, not because we necessarily want to be divisive, it's because we are Christians. We are light, we are salt, and the light exposes the darkness. And the Christian by nature of who he is in Christ and because the Holy Spirit is dwelling within him, will expose that darkness. And the world will not like that. And the world will say, you are not being kind. You are not being loving. You are not being tender-hearted. And it, I always love it when I see this or I have experienced this when someone's in my face, bowed up, telling me I'm not being loving... Because I'm standing for Christ. I always find that interesting. We do not court to the world. We actually stand in judgment over it. And the world will then say, you're intolerant, you're not kind. But how we conduct ourselves in standing for the truth, it cannot ever be compromised. Now, sometimes people will make a good point. Well, sometimes the way things are said are not the best way to say them, and I would agree. In fact, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 21 says, The heart of is discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. And, and every married couple knows this, you can be totally right and wrong in how you were right. It actually matters how we do, do speak. What, is, what does Peter counsel us on? Where he says in chapter 3, verse 15 of 1 Peter, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yes, I'm going to practice apologetics. Wait, i got to do it with gentleness and respect. Sometimes some polemical ministries seem to lack that gentleness. But there is a collision course that we face right now in the world of a biblical worldview, a worldview that is under the lordship of Christ and the world. And so naturally, we're going to be told, you're not very kind. You're not very tender-hearted. Now, here's what we have to look at here, is if I confront the world, if I confront my brother or sister in Christ, if I disagree with the world, if I disagree with my brother 
or sister in Christ, if I refuse to enable someone, I just can't do it with this. And this is what it is. This is where they could actually lay a charge. And what does Peter say? Don't allow them to lay any charge on you. What what does David say in the Psalms? Be careful in front of the wicked that they can't lay a charge on you. So, when there is confrontation, verse 31, we have to go back to it. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And so, when there are those natural divisions and things that come up, because we live in a a sin-fallen world, we can never exhibit those things. We can't show malice. We can't show that that anger that is not a righteous anger. And so it has to be an untarnished confrontation. It has to be an untarnished rebuke. And in that, in even rebuke, then we can be kind and we can be tender-hearted. Now, there's a, there's a few assumptions here. Again, this is directed at the church. So primarily, Paul is addressing us how we are to respond to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, I think that tonight, particularly, you see a, a beautiful example of how this actually works in the invisible church. Because we have a a local church here that has visible membership and those that are regenerate, and we would like to believe we have a regenerate membership. But we, we we have people from other churches here with us that we, we fellowship with one another. And so, yes, this manifests itself specifically in a local church, but actually this is how we're to treat specifically our brothers and sisters in Christ. And how much more so now with the fact that we weren't like Paul where it, we, the, the, we only got one option for church in, in Ephesus in the first century. It's a church that's in walking distance. We can go to a church an hour, we can go to a church two hours away if we wanted to. We can fellowship with brothers and sisters instantaneously by those little computers we call phones. Just think about Christian interaction on social media. I don't always see it where it's kind and tender-hearted. But we're called to be that with one another. We are called to do that. This is directed at the church. And there's something about this idea that, that I want to also make a point of is it seems to me that in the context of Ephesians, the church had a proper understanding of the gospel. They found their doctrinal unity in the gospel. Paul clearly lays out not only the truth of the gospel in the first three chapters, specifically the first chapter, 
He also lays out the triune doctrine of God in the first chapter, and that the work of salvation is a work of the triune God. You'll notice the three persons of the Trinity are mentioned in those first 13 verses of chapter 1. He then goes into how salvation works by God's grace, uh, that we were dead, and that in God's grace we are saved by grace through faith, and that this was a gift of God. He then moves into the mystery of this church, that we are brought together in unity and the dividing wall of hostility has been taken down. And then in chapter 4, he says, therefore. In other words, what we have to see is this first, is this idea of everything that he instructs the church in how to act is rooted in the truths and the realities of the first three chapters. That this is who you are. This is what the church is. Now, exemplify it. In other words, when we're called to be kind and tender-hearted, we are just simply manifesting that which God has already done. What we are. We are kind and tender-hearted because of Christ. Because Christ is kind and Christ is tender-hearted, and if you are in Christ, you are in union with Christ, and from Christ flows through you kindness and tender-heartedness to your brother and sister within the church. And so as he is addressing this, he is addressing the relationships that take place within the church. And what we recognize is this, we don't always agree and we don't always get along. But what can never be said is this, is that we're not tender-hearted and kind to one another. And that if there's anger, if there's malice, if there's bitterness, if there's slander that is amongst us, guess what we're not being? Not being kind. Not being tender-hearted. Yeah, we will have disagreements. Yeah, we'll have debates. Yeah, we will want to do things differently. But in that, we have to maintain that kindness and tenderness because that's what we are. Christ has called us to that. So how do we practice this? Well, some some obvious ones is to show kindness and tenderheartedness is to consider what another person's needs are before our own. And that we always do that without compromising or forsaking the truth. We never forsake the truth. I also think this, in that idea of being kind or tender-hearted, the reason why we're, we would have to be kind or tender-hearted is because there has been something that has taken place that would trigger that. Right? Why else would we lack kindness and tenderheartedness to one another? It's because of the realities of living in relationship with other people. So that's why we have to be told that. And so in many ways, this idea of kindness and tenderheartedness can come back through that paradigm that we saw in Romans chapter 14 and 15, and that is this idea of the weaker and stronger Christian. And oftentimes, 
The weaker Christian is going to need a little bit more kindness and tenderheartedness, which means that's an example that, or an opportunity that you get to practice that. We have to recognize everything as a teaching or discipleship opportunity. So if you have to show kindness when someone doesn't deserve it, guess what? God has done that. He's shown you how to do it. He's shown you that he has done that. But now you get an opportunity to practice it. That's how we should look at those things when there is disagreement. And then also this is that words and actions actually impact people positively or negatively. What do I mean by that is we consider what it means to be kind and tenderhearted and the reality that the call to kindness and tenderheartedness is the result of the fact that there is sometimes tension and a, a desire to not show those things. Look at what was said of Job in Job 4.4. 4. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble needs. Feeble knees, excuse me. What was said of his words, the words of Job? They were able to uphold people. So we have to recognize that the way we practice things and the way we do things actually have a negative or a positive impact. And then last is this, is our kindness, our tenderheartedness to one another shows our desire to live in light of what God has accomplished in Christ and is a witness to our neighbors that the church by nature of what it is is different from the rest of the world. That we are set apart, that we are saints, and that we are to show that we are saints because God has declared us that. So it's our witness to the world and it's a demonstration of what God has done for us in Christ. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word that it is perfect in all ways. We thank you for this reminder that we are to strive to be people that are kind and tender-hearted to one another. And we recognize there will be many situations we face, not only in the church and outside of the church, uh, that will oftentimes result in our lack of kindness or lack of tenderheartedness. So we pray your grace and your help that we would always desire to be a people that live in light of the gospel, that we would live... um, the lives that you have given us through the transformation of your Spirit working in us. We pray that as we depart from here, we would reflect and meditate upon these truths, and by your grace, we would live them out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.